This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, my gosh. It is just so hot. Humid and hot. Unfortunately, our local baseball teams aren't hot anymore, are they? They are struggling. They are struggling. Pat will join us at 1 o'clock. We'll talk a little bit more about the Mets and the fact that the Atlanta ball club won't go away. And We're not surprised about that, right? We knew Atlanta was going to be around, Mets fans, so listen, don't, don't stop being nervous. Don't stop being like, oh, boy, here comes Atlanta. You knew they were going to be around. The question is going to be several things. Personnel-wise, what are the Mets going to do with the trade deadline? They made a couple of moves. We'll talk about that once again with Pat at 1 o'clock. And uh, the latest on Jacob DeGrom. But, look, you know, and we know they need bullpen help. We know they need some offense. So we'll deal with that at 1 o'clock. But we'll start with the New York Yankees. And, yes, we'll talk a little football and a little basketball later in the show. Very quietly. And once again, let me, check, let, let me just make this clear as I start the conversation. They are still, the Yankees, are still 34 games over 500. I let, let's so let's make that clear. They are still 34 games over 500. They have a 12 game lead over Tampa. 12. But I will grant you that they are not playing outstanding baseball right now. I will agree with you there. I will also say to you that even though they have not played outstanding baseball, you didn't expect them to continue to win at the clip they were winning at. You couldn't. You couldn't. They were not going to play where they win just about every game, every day. And yes, now the injuries have come. All right, Michael King, the latest to be added. So now your bullpen is compromised a little bit. That's why this baseball season is, as a baseball fan, you know, it's not for the faint of heart (laughs) because it's long and it is really a survival course. It is really a survival course. That's what it is. And right now, the Yankees got a little adversity. Bullpen's not working. Starters are eh. Gary Cole did not have the type of game you would expect from your ace last night. He struggled. And yeah, the team is is struggling a little bit, a little bit, but still. And I understand part of this now for the Yankee fans, there's two things. First of all, remember, this is not your... Baltimore Orioles team of a couple years ago, this is a much better hitting, better pitching Baltimore Orioles team. All right. When's the last time Baltimore Orioles were 500 or over? Yeah, you got to go back and think. So this is not just the, this is not the doormat Baltimore Orioles that Yankee fans are used to the Yankees beating. It's a little better team. That's number one. Number two, I do understand the concern about Houston. I do understand the concern that you really want to have the best record in the American League. And Houston is gaining on you. But I, from my years covering sports here, my years on the Yankee beat, I'm sure that Brian Cashman will come up with something that will add to this team, both offensively and in the bullpen. But let's go back to last night. Aaron Boone weighs in on the loss to the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's frustrating. We, we, you know, we had chances to really pull away. And, um, you know, I, we, ton of traffic, a lot of good at-bats up and down the lineup, but just not able to break through or you get that big extra base hit. And that, with, with guys on base, whatever it may be, we had our chances tonight and, and just couldn't put it away. And I guess if you go back to that Houston series, that is probably – probably the biggest takeaway right from this Yankee team is that yeah they've they've played well yes they've dominated a bunch of folks yes they've got a great record but of late the key hits have not exactly been plentiful hasn't been that way against Houston where they seem to struggle to score 
and now you come against Baltimore and you lose a game. But, I mean, you know, once again, it's the Orioles and it's not that Orioles team. The next thing that probably has you a little more concerned is the fact that it was against your ace, Gary Cole. And it really was kind of one inning. And the one thing I will say that has been a surprise for me in watching Cole has been the fact that he the home run ball seems to be something that he can't get away from. Now, great pitchers give up home runs. Usually they're solo home runs because, you know, they're around the plate. There's nobody on base. So, okay, you rather, if you got to give up a home run, you rather it obviously be a solo home run than it being a run with, uh, you know, people on. Clearly. And usually, as I mentioned, with starters who are great, they're around the plate. You know they're going to be around the plate. You take a shot and it's gone. But he gives up a lot of home runs. He just does. That's the optic for me. Here's Aaron Boone on uh, Gary Cole, who was a very emotional guy normally, but especially after the sixth inning. Just where we were in our pen, and he was just reaffirming, like, let's go, yeah. So, yeah, so he wasn't pleading his case necessarily. He was just more like, I'm good, let's go, and, um, you know, that's all we needed. Cole had an elevated pitch count early. So he was asked if that got him later in the game. I mean, it's just tough conditions early. It's just so hot, you know. Um, it's tough to get a grip. It's tough to regulate your heart rate. I mean, but it's probably not just for me. It's probably for everybody else. Lucky it's American League. You can uh, find opportunities in the fourth, fifth, and sixth to get the pitch count down without getting a double switch. So glad we were able to do that. All right, so the Orioles, as I mentioned, they've won 12 out of their last 15. This is clearly not the Baltimore Orioles of years ago. Yankees now have dropped three of their last four, six out of 10, and eight of their last 12. So once again, yes, they have not been playing at the clip they were playing earlier, but they do have injuries. And it is really important now for... Brian Cashman and company to really make sure that they fortify this lineup. The Yankees need another bat. And the Yankees, I think, are going to need another starter. All right? And especially with Tyon not pitching the way he was, Severino on the IL. You got a bunch of relievers on the IL. You got some coming back. Uh, Chapman struggles. Loisica has struggled all season. And so what was kind of a strength for the Yankees is now a little iffy. And Clay Holmes has not been lights out Holmes as he was earlier in the season. But once again, that's what you expect. That's why the baseball season is so crazy because it could shift on the dime. It changes quickly. So I'm really curious to hear from the Yankee fans today as you get ready to face the Baltimore Orioles this afternoon. At 1-800-919-3776. Also on Twitter, at Hardesty ESPN, at ESPNNY, 98 underscore 7 FM. You got Nestor Cortez on the mound. Even Nestor has not been nasty Nestor consistently. But this is a game that I believe the Yankees can win. And I believe they will win this game today. And get back on the winning track. And listen, I'll say this. They're not losing these games because of Aaron Judge who was hot again last night. Four hits for Judge. Four hits. Mm -hmm. Batting 292. 36 home runs, 79 RBI. The money just keeps growing and growing. We'll discuss Yankees with you next on 98.7 ESPN. Starting out with the New York Yankees and the struggles that they're having. And really, a lot of it, yeah, we get the whole situation with Houston, but let's be honest, a lot of it is injuries. Once again, no Severino. Miguel Castro, IL. Michael King, elbow injury, done for the year. The bullpen had been the biggest strength for this team. Yes, we know the home runs. Yes, we know they've been able to score some runs. But even on those nights... 
when the offense wasn't there and you had a minimal amount, even when Tyone wasn't giving you six, you could string it together with your bullpen. And now your bullpen is compromised. So as I mentioned, the Yankees are going to have to get another arm, bullpen arm. I think they might have to get another starting arm. And they definitely need another bat. Because while I will agree with a lot of my colleagues here on 98.7 that they aren't really, the, the Joey Gallo average is not killing them going forward, it would be an issue because he would be a guy that would be the invisible man on the bench in the postseason because you couldn't play him. As far as he, you might put him in, the only thing you could do is put him in as a defensive guy, possibly. Possibly. But I don't know how you could have him active on your, on your, on your postseason playoff list, on your roster. I don't know how you could. Because an automatic out. So clearly they need another bat. And so Brian Cashman, especially, and here's the tough part. Everybody knows you're dealing from a position of weakness, especially with arms. So you've got to be able to find a way, got to be able to find a way to improve your staff. And listen, he he's he's done a previously he's he's done a pretty good job at doing things like that. Done a pretty good job. Submitted for your approval, Matt Carpenter. <laughs> Had his 14th home run of the year last night. Last year he had seven. So that was a big win. Now, some of it, I will admit to you, is a little negated because of the fact that he's in the outfield and you know, you're taking a chance on him. He's not out there for his glove. His bat is what is why he's in the lineup. And that's a concern. I, I, I understand that. But like I said, there's some other people, have, you know, we're killing Gallo. I don't hear a lot of people killing Josh Donaldson. Hasn't been great. Hasn't been what you thought. So these are the things that the Yankees have to do to, to get better. And once again, <laughs> 34 games over 500. Okay, 34. But Houston is closing in on them, and I know that is a major concern to Yankee fans, especially since you can't seem to score runs against them consistently. Let's go to the phone. Spike is in St. Pete. Hey, Spike. Good afternoon, my friend. Uh, listen, you know, you just said it. I'm, I'm listening to you. You know how much I enjoy uh, sharing sports talk and other stuff with you, too. And I'm saying, when is he going to get that there's 34 games over 500? Mm -hmm. You know, does it matter if you win opening day or closing day? Look, this that season's long, and it keeps coming down to the same thing, Larry. They moved up the uh, trading date by three days, August 2nd, I think it is mm -hmm. now. Yeah, August 2nd. It, okay, you've been around a while. I've been around a lot longer. It always comes down to pitching. It just mm -hmm. always does. I don't know why they, they settle on four, five, six-man rotations. You know, I spoke to our other Beaver friend, and he goes, he's, he's teetering now. So I said, I'll talk to Larry this afternoon. Find out how Larry's doing. Look, it's a long year. I know I'm going over to the Mets. I know the Yankees. You know, Baltimore's improved. I mean, my God, they were picked to win 61 games. They won 47 already. And, and and Seattle's improved. They, uh, they, I don't know how many, they're, they're way over 500. And it's the ebb and flow, and it changes like seasons change and sports change. I'm not really concerned with either team, and I'll tell you why. Injuries happen to every team. They really do. Some years you have fewer injuries. Some some years you have uh, more injuries. If you balance your team right, like I was kidding, I called Gordon yesterday, and I said, the Cashman will pull the greatest trade over in the history of sports. He'll trade Joey Gallo and Araldus Chapman for Soto, but it'll be a Manny Soto, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's it's crazy. It's crazy. We love our sports. We're passionate. You finally got all the teams, the Jets and the Giants, and, and hopefully the Knicks. So I won't talk it because it's not a basketball deal. It looks like an Apollos Mitchell deal. And, and then you got the Mets and the Yankees. 
Tell me the year, and I'll let you go, and I'll talk to you in the morning. Just tell me the last year off the top of your head fast, like you're playing Password. You ready? Mm-hmm. When was the last year, and years ago, that the Mets and the Yankees were in the spot they're in right now? I can't even tell you. That's right. I can't even tell you. It's so, been that long. I can't even tell you. Smart. Well, you can't. I can't either. Put that smile on your face now. Because <laughs> the Mets, got, it's, a, it's Atlanta and the Mets, and it's Houston and the Yankees. Am yeah. I correct? Yep. Okay, so it's like a two-horse race, That's and it. the loser gets three games at home in the in the, in the wild card. Yeah, and, and 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 now the big thing for 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 the Mets, look, look, Cole Cole's good. Cole's a real good pitcher. I could go back twenty years. He he gives you innings. He gives up the home run ball, catfish. All the I'm not comparing them. I'm just saying all mm-hmm. these good pitchers give up on us. I need to see Degrom, and I need to see. The Yankees just, I want, I, I'm not, yeah, I like baseball a lot. I prefer the Yankees to the Mets, but I love the Mets because of the pitching. It's right. just going to boil down. You know what I say? 60 wins, 60 wins, and then you, you decide it, and then you reset the clock again. Mm-hmm. So let's just enjoy what we have. We, we become, this whole world's become negative. Let's enjoy right. it. The Mets and the Yankees are right there, right? The football teams are coming. Hopefully the Knicks pull this deal off. And, and the Rangers played well. You know, it's the best New York's been, in, am I wrong to say, 20 years? Yeah, I'd say so. You're right, Spike. Thanks for the phone call, my friend. You're right. It's been a while. It, it's it's been. You've had some success here, and it's something that uh, you know has not been. But we got to wait and see what the football teams do. You know, I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm expecting them. Well, I'm expecting the Jets to be better than they were last year. The Giants. I'm not sure what to what to make of them yet. I mean, it's a new coaching staff. You just never know. They're playing with. As we say in, in the betting game, they're playing with house money at this point because you're not sure, you know, nobody expects them to do anything, okay? You, they come in, it's a new regime, they got to evaluate talent. But sometimes, first year, you can just change some fundamental things with how things are done and, you know, they're better prepared and they're better, the foundation is, is improved and their execution is better. And sometimes you steal a couple of wins early and the team surprises some people and they, you know, and they get on a roll. And let's face it, the the, the Giants have a manageable schedule. You know, it's not, it's not a killer schedule. Not a killer schedule. So you never know. They may surprise some people. I'm not expecting a lot from them because, you know, I just not. But it doesn't mean that they can't be an entertaining football team this year and be in every game and maybe pull out a few. And stay close, and maybe you know their defense makes a couple of plays, and they, you know, steal a couple of wins. So you just don't know. But uh, as far as the baseball teams are concerned, they have done their job right now. They've been in first place for the season. They've done a great job. They've held our interest. They both have shots at getting to the postseason. Clearly, Yankees a little better than the Mets, and I think the Mets will get there to the postseason because I think they're the top two teams. They're among the top four teams uh, that will get to the postseason. So they'll be okay. It's just that angst along the way. It's that concern you have when your team is just not playing the way you expect them to play. And you have to step back and take a moment and realize that, yeah, you know, it's about series. It's about winning as many series as you can. The only thing is, is when your team goes on that slump that they invariably will go on. It's who are they playing when they're in that slump? And unfortunately for the Yankees, it's been a situation with Houston that Yankee fans are just like, again, it's with the Astros. And as far as the Mets are concerned, they can take a series from Atlanta, and Atlanta just still won't go away. We'll continue the conversation next on 98.7 ESPN. Mike, what's happening? You're next on 987 ESPN. Hey, how you doing? Thank you for having me on. You got it, Mike. Uh, I, I'm a Giants fan. I'm a Giants through and through. I bleed blue. Okay. But but right now, Daniel Jones, in the last couple of years that we've seen, I know we drafted him too high. We were quarterback hungry, but we definitely made a mistake. But I think he's hearing footsteps. And we don't need a spectacular quarterback. We need a solid quarterback and. I think we messed him up enough where he's hearing footsteps on a regular. 
He can't come back. Maybe we should draft. We should have drafted a quarterback last year, a backup. Maybe something to put a battery in his back, or just make the move for Garoppolo. Well, here's the thing, Mike. There's no question that thanks for the phone call. There's no question that there is. Uh, he's hearing footsteps, and he's hearing footsteps because they didn't renew his. They didn't take the five year option. So he's playing for his football career this season. So that's one way to put a little pressure on your quarterback. The next way to put pressure on your quarterback is the fact that they brought in Tyrod Taylor. So there's no question that last year the Giants probably had the worst set of backup quarterbacks in the league. They just did. It it was not good. It was not pretty. When he went out, they weren't competitive. Okay? They weren't competitive. Tyrod Taylor is a veteran guy who's had success in some in a couple of cities. He knows the game. He can play the game. And I remember uh, a member of our crew, Keyshawn Johnson from Keyshawn J. Will and Max, whom you can hear Monday through Friday from 8 to 10 here on 987 ESPN, said he wouldn't be surprised if midway through the season, Tyrod Taylor would be the starting quarterback for the Giants. So there's a lot of questions around Daniel Jones. His accuracy has which was very good in the first couple of years of his career, has not been the same recently. Could you put some of it on the offensive line? Yes. Could you put some of it on the fact that his receivers are constantly injured? Yes. Could you put some of it on Daniel Jones? Absolutely. So he has to take part of the issue as well in the problems that the team has had offensively. Uh, The other part of it is they have really been devoid of a running game. And when teams know that you are going to throw 85, 90% of the time because your running game has not been consistent, then they dictate the type of defense that they can play. And they dictate your offense. And so now, instead of you trying to get the ball down the field, it's hard for you to get the ball down the field. So hopefully, from the Giants' standpoint, they've improved the offensive offensive line enough. Sounds like the Jets, right? They've improved the offensive line enough that they can have a solid running game. Saquon Barkley has said all the right things. You know he has something to prove. You know that he wants another contract. So you know that he is ready and willing and anxious to show that he can still be a top-notch running back in this league. So if they can find a way to get Saquon Barkley consistent where he is a, a threat offensively, not only running the ball, but catching the ball out of the backfield. If they can find a way to get Kenny Galladay consistently on the field, if they can find a way to consistently get Kadarius Toney on the field, if they can find a way to get Sterling Shepard consistently on the field, I think they'll be okay. Uh, They need to see Darius Slayton was not Darius Slayton last year. Had some injuries, just just wasn't the same uh, player. Did not give you the same type of you know, uh, production that you had gotten from him in previous years. So really, it all stems from the Giants offensive line, which is Jordan Runon continues to joke has been in rebuild for the past 10, 15 years. <laughs> but I think right now they're in a decent situation when you look at them that they should be able to, buoyed by Andrew Thomas, uh, who has been very good, and Evan Neal, who is the rookie, that's coming in this year, uh, that you hope that your offensive line can be solid so that you can establish a rhythm offensively. The other big thing that this Giants team has to do offensively for them to even think about improving, they've got to get better in the red zone. They are just awful in the red zone. And that was one of the reasons why they signed Kenny Galladay because of his size. You would think that his size and height would be a a no-brainer in the red zone. Just throw it up there and let him go get it. It just hasn't worked out that way consistently. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but that's that's the issue. And I hear what you're saying about Daniel Jones. And that's the reason why he's hearing footsteps. The Giants, a new regime, they have no uh, – they have no – they don't owe him anything. He, they didn't draft him. They could say, you know what, goodbye. You, you're not what we want in our program. They could say goodbye to him anyway. And depending on how the season goes and how he produces, the Giants can also make some deals and get some draft choices and look to get a quarterback and draft the quarterback again in in, in this year's uh, 
in this year's draft because of the fact that, you know, it just hasn't worked the way they thought it would. And it's kind of weird and, and it's disappointing because I thought, yeah, look, we know about the turnovers. We know about the interceptions. We know about the fumbles. They're an issue. All right. They continue to be an issue. Okay. The fact that he can't stay healthy, that's an issue, continues to be an issue. So that doesn't help him either. But remember, when he first came out, there were people saying that he was going to be better than, <laughs> this is funny, right? That he was a better quarterback than Sam Darnold, and Sam Darnold was drafted, remember, by the Jets, number three. So, you know, they're like, well, he got to say, yeah, well, he's, he's going to be better than, than Sam Darnold. Well, as it turns out, Sam Darnold continues to have issues. And, um, you know, even though the change of scenery in Charlotte going down to Carolina with the Panthers didn't change much for him to the point that, you know, the Panthers went on and got Baker Mayfield. So uh, that tells you what you need to know about, you know, Sam Darnold. And it tells you what you need to know about quarterback play, right? And once again, it's the higher the quarterback is drafted, the worse the team he's going to go to. Look at Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was outstanding in college. Look at what he went into in Jacksonville. And look at what his coaches and coaching staff did to him in Jacksonville where he did not learn a thing. All right? It's not just drafting great players. You have to teach them and coach them up so that you put them in positions where their talent works with what you're trying to do, where your where their talent works with what you're trying to accomplish in your schemes. And all too often for the Jets and the Giants, in a lot of cases, this has not worked out. And so we're quick to say, well, you know, it's a bad draft pick. It was bad. Sometimes it's an okay. Sometimes it's not just the draft pick. It's the fix. And sometimes it's just, you know, they're, they're, they're college players. Right, they're they're a system quarterback. They're system players. In this system, they look great. You take them out of the system, well, not so much. You got more work to do with them. All right, but once again, when you go into teams that that are devoid of talent and don't have a lot of talent, then it's more pressure on the individual player to get better at their position. And in quarterback, that's really tough to do because you're out there. It's you, <laughs> okay, like Sauce Gardner. I ever oh Sauce Gardner, Sauce Gardner, and I think he will be a terrific corner. All right, he will be a terrific corner, but you can hide him in a scheme. Okay, if 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 there's a situation where he's constantly getting burned, which I don't think he will be, but if there's a situation where he's constantly getting burned, you can shift him, you can hide him, you can move him around. Well, you can move your quarterback. You can move your quarterback anywhere. He is front and center. So you try to, well, let's try to get the run game. Well, the running game's not working. Okay, let's try to get the short passing game. Well, eh. the offensive line, not consistent. Eh. So, yes, I know that John Mara has said that, okay, we've messed up Daniel Jones, and part of the way he is is what how we've gotten him. All right? But it's just the scenario of can he – Overcome this with this coaching staff. Can Brian Dayball be the guy that writes him, that gives him the confidence, that gives him the tools, that puts him, that understands what he can and cannot do, and puts him in the in a scenario where he has success and confidence because everything is working for him? That's the question. And we have to wait and see what happens. Anthony's in Brooklyn. What's up, Anthony? You're next on 98.7 ESPN. Gotcha. Hey, Anthony. Hey, how, how you doing? How's everything, man? Good. Everything's fine. What's up? Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm just calling to see, uh, well, not to see, but to get your opinion on who, who came up with that it's not good to draft a running back in the first round. Because it seems to me um, you hit on something, something by saying, um, you know, quarterbacks uh, – is only as good as the organization that, that they're being drafted to, which is absolutely correct. It don't matter how great you is coming out of college. If you're going to play for the Jaguars and you're the number one draft pick, 
nine out of ten times, you that's like going to a career death or or NFL cemetery by going to those like uh, one in seventeen teams. Yeah, I I just think what has happened, Anthony, and thanks for the phone call on the question. It's it's pretty simple. It's been this. Because you can get quarterback, you can get running back talent further on in the draft from speed and everything. I just think that from some general managers would say to you that you don't need to draft a, a running back high in the draft. Because down the line, the higher you draft, you have to pay them. And so the question becomes, let's say, and we'll, it's unfortunate, but we'll use Saquon Barkley because he was drafted number two by the Giants. And the Giants' thought process was, listen, we need this guy to add to Eli Manning. Eli Manning's got something left. We can just get him rolling with the offense. We'll be okay. And we can kind of work Eli in with his experience and, and let Saquon Barkley take the most of the control of that offense. Because now with the run game, and Eli was so good at, at the uh, – you know, at, at, at the, you know, the, hand, the, the fake handoff and the play action that he could get the ball down the field. Let's put him in there. And it turns out that it didn't work, A, because the offensive line wasn't good, but B, because Eli really didn't click. So now you're in the spot where you're, you're, you would have to pay Saquon Barkley a ton of money. And so at this point, okay, I could get perhaps Saquon Barkley, I could get a couple of running backs further on and have a running back by committee where I have a running back for, you know, a third down back. I've got a all around back. I've got a back to come out of the backfield. I can use that money in a salary cap sport and spread the, and spread that talent around where I need to get in, in a power position of left tackle, pass rusher, quarterback, cornerback. I have to save that money for those guys. So I'm not going to spend my money that high for running back when I can get multiple speed guys lower in the draft to do what I need to do to have a running back by committee. It's very rare now that you're in a situation where you've got, uh, you know, running backs uh, with the exception of, of Derrick Henry in Tennessee, who just dominate the running back position with just one running back. It's very rare. He's really one of the few guys that continue to do it. When we return, We'll continue our conversation and we'll look at what's going on with the New York Mets. That's next. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Right now, we'll turn our attention to the New York Mets, who will host the San Diego Padres tonight on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. And for that, we are pleased to be joined by Pat Regazzo. He covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. Hey, Pat, welcome. Hey, Larry. Hope you're doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm doing great. Thank you. Um, Pat, as a Met fan, Atlanta just won't go away, Pat. And the fact that this team can't score runs is not making it easier to try to put some distance between them and Atlanta. Where are we trade-wise? And I know that Billy Epler made a couple of moves over the past couple of days. But where are we trade-wise for this team trying to get another bat in this lineup where it clearly sorely needs? Right. So as of Friday, Billy Epler and the Mets acquired Daniel Vogel back from the Pittsburgh Pirates. They gave up a very good, young, promising, controllable rookie reliever in Colin Holderman. But unfortunately, as much as they tried to avoid giving up an arm such as Holderman, the Pirates wanted him all the way, and that's kind of who they sunk their teeth into. And um, the Mets know that they need offensive help, and, and it started with acquiring Vogel back. So they Epler actually described it in, in, a, in a pretty perfect uh, perfect way to us the other night. He said he kind of had to rob Peter to pay Paul in a sense <laughs> to kind of get some offensive help in here. Um, Vogelback hits righties almost better than anybody in the league. Um, unfortunately, you know, on the other end, he's just he's a platoon player. He does not hit lefties well in his career, but it is a start. It is you know some much needed bench help. And uh, where things stand right now, the Mets are exploring a trade for another big bat um, names such as Josh Bell and Trey Mancini are those who they're very interested in. And um, as, as of this morning, myself and Michael Marino heard for my site inside the Mets, that, that the Mets have are one of the teams who presented a trade offer to the Washington nationals for Josh Bell, which included an upper level minor league starting pitcher, as well as an upper level minor league outfielder. And the Mets would also potentially get a 
major league reliever back in the deal as well. Now, they're not the only team who, who is in on Josh Bell. There, there are a number of other teams, including the Milwaukee Brewers and the Houston Astros. So there is some heavy competition there. And, of course, it is tricky trading in division with these types of things. Yeah, it is. That's the scary thing. That's why uh, I would love to have Ron so- uh, Juan Soto, but I know that's probably not happening because if I'm Washington, if, if I'm the Nationals, I'm not trading him in my division. I'm trading him into another league, so I won't have to see him anymore, Pat. <laughs> that's what I would do. Right. That's that's definitely the tricky scenario of the whole situation is the Mets would be trying to acquire a Juan Soto and, of course, have the bandwidth to give him that massive extension that he's looking for. So the Nationals would have to be have, have to be willing to stomach the idea of facing him for the next 15 years or so in their division. He's still just 23 years old. And then on the other hand, the Mets um, ha- would have to give up some of their best top prospects in a Francisco Alvarez, potentially a Brett Beatty and more to the Nationals, and those guys have a really good chance to pan out as stars. And a lot of people have described it as a Herschel Walker-type trade is what we're about to see, which makes sense with a player as Juan Soto. It's such a rare situation. But on the other hand, if, if, if you recall, and I'm sure you do and, and others do as well, the Herschel Walker trade, the Cowboys actually wind up building a dynasty off of the yeah. package that they got back in, in exchange for Herschel Walker. Now, that was a little bit before my time, but uh, you know I'm an, I'm an NFL historian as much as I am an MLB historian, and, and – I know everybody else, you know, is in sports fans all over. But, um, but again, yeah, the Cowboys wound up winning three Super Bowls kind of off the backs of that trade. And, um, yeah, I don't think that the Mets, uh, you know, obviously have to be careful if they, if they were going to do something similar with the Nationals, you know, potentially giving them some superstars of the future as, as good as Soto is and what an impact that he would make, you know, right away and in the future as well. Yeah, no question about that. Pat, as, in your reporting, as you chat with front office people around the league, how different is it that the Mets are now involved in these situations? I mean, the previous ownership, you know, as a Met fan, you were just like, wow. You were sitting on the sidelines, Pat, knowing that your team wasn't going to be involved. But now with Steve Cohen in full-time, bringing in Billy Epler, a baseball guy that you have respect for, it, it, how is the league looking at this Met team in the Met front office? I think the rest of the league right now sees the Mets as aggressive suitors at, at the trade deadline. And um, they know that because the Mets are, have been very engaged with a number of different teams and GMs, and they are looking to upgrade their club. I mean, the, the Mets have gotten off to their best start since 2006, essentially, and um, they have Jacob deGrom coming back. Their starting rotation is really starting to hit, hit its stride. Everyone knows that Max Scherzer is on a short-term deal, and the Mets have shown a lot of promise and, and talent and, and the ability to win. Uh, you know, that said, Atlanta is on their heels, um, but, the, but the Mets do have a lot of good pieces in place and they are pretty top heavy in, in their farm system right now. Like there's some talented names such as Alvarez and Beatty, which a lot of teams know are off limits. But I kind of think back to around the 2015-2016 era when Sandy Alderson was GM of the Mets and the Mets had a very rich farm system, particularly in, in the pitching category and um, you know a lot of those teams are going to be asking and, and mentioning names that uh, you know that the Mets don't want to part with because when you when you're you know you have a rich number of assets that's who teams are going to be interested in so yeah again I think that the view around around the league is that the Mets are going to get a you know a big bat and and relief help as well and uh, you know they're going to do what they can to upgrade their club uh, and at the same time the Mets I think have made it pretty clear that they don't want to sell off the farm either as much as they are looking to upgrade and you know gear up for a division race and a and a pennant run here down the stretch. And, Pat, the other thing that, that, you know, we talk about the Mets needing a bat for the offense, and obviously last night in the game that Chris Bassett was, I mean, you talk about one bad pitch and just killed him. You're not winning a bunch of games by just scoring a run. So we understand that the offense needs some work. But the bullpen is going to need some depth as well. Where are we as far as some of the names you're hearing that the Mets are interested in and trying to get relief help uh, to lengthen that bullpen? Because other than Edwin Diaz, who has been amazing this year, uh, there's not a lot of people in Buck Showalter's circle of trust out there. Exactly. And Diaz has had an elite and historic season so far in pace for the Mets. He's really been a stalwart out there in the ninth inning. Um, but beyond that, and beyond Adam Ottavino, who's had a very uh, rejuvenated season in his first year with the Mets, um, things have been a bit up and down. As solid as the Mets' bullpen has been, they have given up some late-inning home runs that have wound up doing them in due to a lack of offense as well, which is really is you know the number one issue right now but the Mets are looking to get a high leverage relief arm or two and and names such as David Robertson Andrew Chafin and potentially Jorge Lopez are are, are three names that I've heard 
brought up and you know there's a there's a significant amount of interest uh from the Mets end and and the, again like I like we mentioned with the bats and with Josh Bell earlier a lot of teams are are in on these relievers such as Robertson who's having a great year and a bounce back year for the Cubs and um Andrew Chafin and and some of these guys who either have one more year of control or or are rental options and Billy Epler again said it the other night too that uh part of the reason that they wound up trading Holderman was because the indication right now is that the, the relief market is going to be robust, and that's not just with, with guys on expiring deals, but it's also with, with pitchers who do come with some years of control. So uh, I do think the Mets are going to require probably a high-leverage relief arm or two, and that is what they're engaged on right now in addition to trying to find a big bat. And, uh, and yeah, it should be an interesting uh, next nine days or so until this deadline comes up. It definitely will be. That's Pat Ragazzo, covers the Mets for Sports Illustrated. It's the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. So, Pat, I'm hearing these great names, and as a Mets fan, I love the names I'm hearing. This is usually, as, as one of my callers always tells me, when you trade for big names, what you have to give up is going to hurt. <laughs> What's going to hurt me, Pat, in, giving, in getting a Josh Bell and getting you know a premier reliever? How is this going to hurt my roster? Well, of course, yeah, you do need to give up something to get something as well. Just That's why I love the um, the example of robbing Peter to pay Paul. But at the same time, um, you know, the Mets do have some talent and some guys with some high upside in, in the minor leagues, and I do think that's probably what, um, you know, we're going to be looking at here as the market winds up developing and as we see some more deals unfold. I, I, again, I would be shocked if the Mets wound up trading guys that are really going to hurt Mets fans, such as Alvarez or Baby. Like, I really just don't see that unless it is, for a Juan Soto or, or a player of that caliber. So, mm-hmm. um, again, yeah, you, you're going to have to give up some some stuff to, to get some good pieces as well. But I think Mets fans will probably be happy, uh, you know, in the process if these things come in, come to fruition in, in the coming week and a half or so. Pat, where are we with Jacob deGrom? He is as uh, frustrating a player right now uh, if you're a fan because you know what he brings to the table. You know by him coming to that roster, he – he makes this team, from a starting pitcher standpoint, with the addition of Max Scherzer, elite. Uh, you go into a five-game series, a seven-game series, and you've got to face those two guys twice. That might be that might be your four wins right there. But his inconsistency, the fact that there seems to be a setback and he moves forward, one step forward, two steps back. Uh, two-part question for you. How realistic is he that he's coming back and can be Jacob deGrom and that's A. And B, are the Mets really in the back of their mind needing another starter in case he doesn't come back? Well, I guess I'll start with your second part there. Um, I think that the Mets do have enough in the starting pitching category right now that, of course, if Jacob deGrom were to suffer a setback and, and all signs say that, you know, he, he, he'll be okay and he's going to make one more rehab start this week and then, you know, most likely rejoin the, the rotation if all goes well. Um, which will be a major boost. But but again, starting pitching market, when we're talking about giving up assets that are going to hurt uh, you know, in the long term, the starting pitching market is going to be very expensive. And Luis Castillo is, is the number one target on, on the market right now. And you know, some, a pitcher of that caliber is going to cost a lot. So again, the Mets have Max Scherzer. They have Taiwan Walker, who's having a very good season for them. Uh, David Peterson. They have Tyler McGill coming back. But Chris Bassett's really gotten back on track as of late and Carlos Carrasco has been up and down at times, but still has been very solid for them. So I do think they do have a very deep starting rotation. And um, of course it hurts their title odds if Jacob DeGrom were to have a setback and not return this year. Uh, but at the same time, I, at this point, I don't think that they're going to be requiring a starting pitching, a top of the line, top of the rotation starting pitcher on the market. Um, but, but again, that said, the Mets do want to get DeGrom in another minor league rehab start this week, stretch him out a little more up the intensity and the adrenaline before bringing him back. But his sim game on Thursday in Port St. Lucie, of course, there was no minor league games during the all-star break this week uh, as it paralleled with the major league all-star break. Um, everybody was, was very pleased with, with how Jacob DeGrom looked and, and he was very, you know, he came away feeling good afterward and, and we're getting closer. I know it's hard to tell Mets fans to stay patient <laughs> at this point. He hasn't pitched in a regular season game since July 7th, 2021. Uh, but we are getting close here, and, uh, you know, you just kind of got to be on the edge of your seat and, and just hope that everything continues to go well. And Hopefully he'll be soon back in the rotation, and, uh, you know, him and Max Scherzer will be dominating on back-to-back days because that's the way that they envisioned it uh, heading into the season. No doubt about it, and, and that's what the Mets are banking on. And, listen, if they can get the the offensive player depth they need, I think this team can go deep. If, 
listen, uh, Billy Epler and Steve Combs have done a nice job in getting this team rolling. Pat, give me your thoughts about Buck Walter. Is he what you heard about him? How does he handle this club day to day? How does he navigate them through this this rough sweat stretch where they've the bats have kind of gone cold in key situations? I think in a situation like this, in a stretch like this, it's always good to have an experienced leader. Um, you know, never gets too high, never gets too low. And, um, you know, he is someone who the guys trust in there, and, and he is that voice. And he's done a great job this year. I mean, Buck, Buck has been one of the best managers in the game. He's really turned around this team and this clubhouse. And uh, really his track record is, is has been all that was advertised and more. He's really been a difference maker. And, um, you know, he's one of the smartest baseball minds in game that I've seen you know, in my years of covering baseball. And I'm sure a lot of people will say that. You know, who have multiple decades of experience, you know, covering the game and around the game. Buck just knows every single rule front and back. And uh, strategically and, his, and the way he operates in game really is a difference maker for the, for the Mets and for the team, you know, the team that he covers, that he, uh, that he controls, I should say. Yeah. Pat, it's going to be an interesting season. You'll have a lot of fun over the next uh, week or so in chasing these trade deadlines and then the ride between the Mets and Atlanta. It's going to be, it's going to be a bumpy ride because they got, what, 15, 14 more games between them and the Braves? 12 more matchups between them, including Ooh. nine in August and, uh, and and three at the end of the year. So, um, yeah, these head-to-head matchups are going to be very important. The Mets passed the big test, winning two out of three with a shorthanded lineup at the time in Atlanta, but uh, it's not over yet, and, and the Braves are right on their heels. So it's, it's going to be an interesting finish in, in, in the NL East here. Pat, thanks for a couple of minutes. You can check him out on Twitter. He is a great follow. Pat, continue success. We'll talk soon, my friend. Thanks so much. Talk soon, and uh, thank you for having me on. My pleasure. That's Pat Ragazzo of Sports Illustrated. All right, Mets fans, what do you think? He gave you some encouraging information about DeGrom. He gave you some encouraging information in the fact that this team is looking to add some players. They know what they need. Can they do it? 1-800-919-3776. We'll react next on 987 ESPN. How often is it that it's a missed call or a missed pitch or something of that ball goes foul or something like that, and the batter comes back and the next pitch leaves the yard or it's a big hit or or it's a big run situation like that. Well, that's what happened to the Mets yesterday. It's the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Let's stick with the Mets yesterday. Now, late in the game, there was a pitch-hitting situation, and Thomas Needle was sent up to bat, but Jeff McNeil was sitting on the bench. So what was Buck Showalter thinking? Listen to how this back and forth went in the postgame yesterday. Was McNeil available tonight? Uh, yes. He, uh, yes. Did you consider using him for Nito in that spot in the ninth? Uh, yeah, I can, if I told you everything I considered over the course of the game, you'd probably be able to write stuff for years. But uh, thank goodness I don't have to um, expose all the things that go through my head during the course of the game about possibilities. Yes, I, I, I considered it. Why did you not use him? I thought Nito's been the flow of the game, gotten a hit for us last time. He got some big hits in that situation. Left-hand pitcher and Jeff, uh, you know, he was a good option. We had, I thought Nito was a good option too. Nito with a bad hand is better than your all-star better. Jeff McNeil? A lot better. Nito's hand's a lot better. There's good decisions, bad decisions. That certainly wasn't what beat us tonight. No, that wasn't what beat you, but that was one of the things they did. And it was it wasn't the only thing that beat you, rather, but it was one of the things they did because you never know what could have happened in that spot. And once again, like it's all about it's all about the people that you put in those situations producing. Because, you know, if Nino got the hit, we're like, Wow, look at what a what a great move by Buck Showalter. It happens. And, you know, the manager puts you in the position and unfortunately for the Mets, Nino was not able to come through. Uh, you're wondering about McNeil. You're wondering why not McNeil in that spot. Well, he gave you, he kind of gave you his thought. He just thought that Nito, his hand was hurting, but his hand was better, and he thought he could give him a hit in that spot. Once again, this is the reason why the Mets are actively shopping to get um, a bat in this lineup because they need some depth. I mean, and yes. Of course, home runs, because that's the way baseball is right now. But they just can't get key hits. And Starling Marte had a tough night last night. They struck out three times. Um, you know, Francisco Lindor has been up and down. He went through a very hot streak where he almost carried this club offensively. Has not been consistent there. Uh, similar situation with, uh, you know, with Pete Alonso, who's had a phenomenal year. 
among the tops in baseball and runs batted in, has slumped, has not had the big hit of late. Uh, so this is where the Mets are. And they're relying on their pitching. And listen, the pitching has done well. The pitching has kept them in games. It is incumbent upon the offense to get going. So we'll see what happens. One of the opportunities for the Mets to get going was, of course, to obtain Daniel Vogelback uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates, which they did on Friday. And here's Billy, Up Billy Upler on his new DH slash first baseman. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to get an offensive player in here. Um, and we think we did that in, uh, in landing bogey. And, uh, you know, somebody that's really excelled against right-handed pitching. And, you know, I think we all kind of know that two-thirds of the pitchers we face are right-handed. Um, and uh, so he could be a presence in, uh, in the order. Uh, there's no doubt about that, and you can expect him. He is expected to make his debut today, in the you know, tonight in the lineup, rather, when the, the Mets host the San Diego Padres. And, uh, you know, listen, uh, this is a situation where the Mets have to start to turn things around. You, you want to get a good feeling about winning. You want to get out of this streak. Uh, and once again, you've got Atlanta not looking over your shoulder, but they're like tapping you on your shoulder right now, just a half game out. Um, and the Mets have just not played well offensively of late. So listen, um, this is a scenario where they've got to get better and they're hitting 211 over their last 10 games. And the ERA, the pitchers have done a tremendous job. I mean, the ERA is 1.86. So the pitchers are doing their part. They're keeping them in games. They're just a, the two eleven batting average as a whole, which means that the you know the the runners in scoring position situation is even worse. And of course, Trevor May, a reliever, who's been on the IL for a while uh, with a tricep injury, is uh, scheduled to pitch in Double uh, A Birmingham. And Jacob Degrom is scheduled to throw. Uh, after the game, t after the game, or sometime today or tomorrow. So, you know, hopefully re reinforcements are on the way pitching wise. But you really need to get that bat in order. You really need to get the uh, the run squared away here. And it would be nice. It would be really nice if they could find a way to at least take the last game and not be swept by San Diego. Okay, that's that's not what you want right now. You want to try to get a win because you've got you know Atlanta facing the, the Angels. Who are still struggling? I mean, you know, it's isn't it amazing. The Angels have clearly two of the best players in the game. Okay, they've got two of the best players in the game, and they they just can't they just can't seem to to play well enough to get some postseason action. I mean, you got Otani and you got Trout, and you're you're still like not even sniffing a postseason bit. It's hard to understand. It, it really is. It really is. You know, um, it's just amazing. But anyway, that's who, that's who Atlanta has, and they've been taking full advantage uh, by being able to pound on them offensively and get, you know, once again, pitching, holding in. And so the Mets really have, a, you know, a lot to work on, a lot to work on. So next, what I want to do, and we'll keep you updated with the Yankees in Baltimore. They are underway down in uh, Orioles Park, Camden Yards. So we'll keep you updated with that score. I have seen a number of different options, different reported moves. But I'm going to say this, and I want to get your thoughts on this as well. This Donovan Mitchell trade for me should have happened already. And so I'm I'm wondering if indeed this deal is going to fall through. And I want to get your thoughts on it. I know that there's been a number of different uh trade rumors as far as what the Knicks are willing to give up and and what Danny Ainge is willing to accept. And clearly Danny Ainge is holding you know, his, his cards close to the vest. He knows that he has a guy uh, that, you know, you could, you know, everybody wants because he is an outstanding player. Okay. Outstanding player. 
I'm not I'm not saying that he's a one or two or three or whatever, but I know that he would be whatever he is, he would be arguably the best player on this Nick team. Okay? Right now he would be the best player. So clearly Danny Ainge knows that, and he's going to try to get as much from the Knicks as possible. That is his job. That is what he's been able to do. That is what he has always done. He's done a tremendous job in in, in being that way and and getting the most for his players. I mean, just see the file under what he got for Rudy Gobert from Minnesota. All right, and that really, that trade kind of sets up what he can get and what he's asking for for Donovan Mitchell from teams. And so the Knicks, as we know, there's no question, all right, there's no question uh, that he is, uh, you know, Mitchell is a guy that the Knicks want. And there's no question that they have the draft capital to make that happen. But why isn't it happened yet? Now, whether you want him or you don't want him, that's not the question here. I'm curious to hear from you at 1-800-919-3776. Do you think this deal is ultimately going through or do you think the deal is dead? Do you think that the Knicks did not do enough to get Mitchell? And if you feel that way, are you concerned? Are you upset that you don't have him? And from those of you who didn't want him, I guess you're happy that if it has not gone through, that it's a good thing. We'll hear what you have to say next. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Let's talk a little Knicks. Are you guys concerned that this deal between the Knicks and Utah hasn't happened yet? I'm not. Now, I once again, I know I saw a couple of uh, comments. I'll get to the calls in a second. They said, you know what, listen, this is what normally happens. Both teams step away. They move back. Okay, they reassess the situation. They try to find out, has anybody else got another deal? Or is anything going to happen? Or somebody comes, is there another person that comes to the table? Or something of that nature. But both the Mets and Yankees, uh, Mets and Yankees, both the Knicks and Utah know what they need. They know what the deal is. They both know what the parameters are. So it's just a matter of them taking their time and stepping away and seeing if there's, from Utah's standpoint, are there any more deals? And from, if in theory, the draft capital that they are looking for, I don't see who anybody else can give them that. All right? Now, what they've asked for from the Knicks, on the other side of it, is a lot. It's a lot. And if you're the Knicks, you want to make sure that it does not lock you away from having and fielding a competitive team in the future. You cannot just constantly give up draft pick after draft pick after draft pick after draft pick years and years down the line. You can't do it. You're eventually going to have to replenish your team. You're eventually going to have to add some bench players to your team. You're eventually going to have to add some people to the team that will make up the rest of the team because if you have all these high-priced players, how are you going to field the franchise? How are you going to put the team on the field, on the court? So that's the concern there. So I'm very curious to hear what you think. 1-800-919-3776. Anthony's in Harlem. What's up, Ant? Hey, Larry. It's good to hear your voice, buddy. I can't wait to talk to you uh, when the gang green is in season. That's what I always think of when I hear you on the radio. <laughs> I hear you, my friend. Thank you. But I want to talk a little about the Knicks. Uh, yeah. The Knicks need to hold fast. Man. They really do. This is Carmelo trade all over again. This guy wants to be a Nick. He wants to come home. Okay. So you just hold fast and you tell Danny Ainge you're going to get your four first and you're going to get your two young players and you're going to have to take Evan Fournier to match up the money. And that's what you get because there's nobody else that can give them four first-round picks and maybe throw in one of the picks that they got from Charlotte and give them five. He's not getting that from anyone else in the NBA. That's the deal. That's what they have to get. And they got to just let him cool it and kick rocks. You, you know, you fleece the Timberwolves for Gobert. You're not fleecing us for this deal. And that's it. Anthony, I'm with you. Thanks for the phone call. That That's the line I would take because, like I said, nobody else has the, the, the amount of first-round picks that you have, okay, that you can bring to the table. 
I mean, that's a, what they were. I mean, the original deal that I saw was, you got to be kidding me. You're ridiculous. You're ridiculous. On Twitter, W Scorpion says, Donovan Mitchell can only come to the Knicks if that NBA Utah Jazz bandit Danny Ainge lowers his exorbitant asking price that will deplete the Knicks for years to come but build up Utah's roster and, and um, stable young players for years to come. I mean, that's what it is. So I'm beginning to wonder if the deal will go through and, you know, there's two sides to it, okay? For some Nick fans, it's here we go. We have an opportunity to get a player who is better than anybody we have on our roster. Does he have shortcomings to his game? Yes. Is he a guy that puts you over the top? By himself? No. Is he a guy that puts you over the top with a couple of more pieces that you have? Yeah. So the question becomes is, and I asked this of Steve Popper, who covers the Knicks for Newsday last week, and he agrees that the Knicks front office probably sees themselves as a team that's closer to the team that was the fourth seed in the playoffs as opposed to a team that did not make the playoffs last season and were six games out of the wild card. So if they see themselves as that team, then they might be more amenable to making that deal and giving up the young players, understanding that saying to themselves, there's no guarantee that any of these players or these draft choices are going to be the player that Donovan Mitchell is. We have no guarantees that they're going to be this good. We have no guarantees. If if Danny Age wants the prospects, then you know what? The prospects, because you don't know what they are, what they're going to turn out to be, then, you know, the prospects is what you give him. I'm not trying to give him prospects and players who are on my roster right now. Okay, depending on who it is. Okay, if you're telling me that, uh, you know, I got to move a Grimes or McBride, I might be amenable to that, but I'm not moving McBride and Grimes and Quickly and Toppin. I'm I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that. Dre's in Queens. What's up, Dre? Hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? Um, I'm good. I'm good. So I want him just I, – I, I want to get him on the team, right? I definitely like to trade. I mean, I'm checking my phone every day to the point where my girl thinks I'm cheating, right? But what I would say to you is this. As far as the combination, maybe one or two of the kids, um, if you do one, more picks, probably go to five. If you do two of the kids, then probably go to like maybe four or three. Um, I think the longer we wait, the better position we're in. Mm-hmm. I think we have the leverage. I understand that he fleeced other people and everything else, but that's really got nothing to do with this deal because I don't think anyone – if anyone could beat our, our package, they would have did the deal already, right? And mm-hmm. so even if somebody moves, they say in Miami, Miami's got to give something up to get that pick. And even if they do get that pick, we can still go higher than them. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we're in a great position. All right, Dre, I hear you. And, and I'm with you in this sense, and thanks for the phone call, is that you're not giving – you're not killing yourself to get Donovan Mitchell. Okay? The original deal that I saw, which was six first-round picks and five players, listen, that's I'm, that's LeBron. That's Kevin Durant. That's not Donovan Mitchell. Okay? If you're giving me draft picks and, I'm, and I can say to myself, okay, as I mentioned, with these picks, I'm not sure that the, any of these guys are going to even come close to what Donovan Mitchell is. Because I have no idea what he's got. I don't, I don't know what these draft picks are going to be. Okay, I'm, I, I'm, I'm more open to that. I'm not open to giving, and I'm not open to giving up six picks either. I, that's a lot of picks. It's a lot of first round picks. Six, six. It's a lot of first round picks. Johnson Freehold, what's up, John? Hey, good afternoon, Larry. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, Larry. Larry, I I, got to applaud the Nick uh, front office for the way they're positioning themselves with this uh, transaction. They haven't really leaked very much from their end. 
as far as what they're willing to pay, what they're looking to uh, do, what their mindset is. And I applaud them on that, and I think they should remain that way. Uh, be very secretive. Don't let anything leak out. You know, every day have, a, have you meet internal meetings and discuss what you want to do and how you want to do it. And you got to have long-term vision and long-term plans where what are we going to do after we make this tra- uh, transaction? What else are we going to do to enhance this roster and add on and make it better? Because after you make the Donovan Mitchell trade, Larry, you're going to have to you know, do some other things as well. I would love to see Julius Randle be moved out of here because I just see a very clogged uh, floor. I-, I see poor floor-, floor spacing. I see a lack of flow and fluidity with the three left-handed shooters being Brunson, Randall, and R.J. Barrett. And let's face it, you know, Randall is just a very slow plotting player that demands ball dominance. And I don't think that's going to work for the overall uh, synergy of this basketball team, you know, with Donovan Mitchell being added. But with that being said, look, there's a history here with Danny Ainge. We all know Danny Ainge is a draft pick uh, maniac. That's what he wants. It's obvious that he's stripping down this roster and he's rebuilding it. So when you when you do that, you're, you're looking at add assets in the way of draft picks. I ha- I don't believe this uh, Miami Heat smokescreen whatsoever. They don't have the assets to make that happen. Neither does anybody else. So the Knicks need to see that. They need to identify it, and they and they got to be smart and selective and patient with it, and make the deal work in their favor. Get the best possible deal that they can make for themselves, where they're putting themselves in a position after the deal is completed that they're still going to have draft capital and they're still going to have young assets that they can go ahead and make another big deal after that one and uh, make Randall part of that in some fashion and, and, and just keep adding on and building this roster going forward because that, that's, that's what they need to do. They can't do what they did with Carmelo Anthony. They can't get desperate. They can't get impatient. They can't overpay. And then they've got nothing left to make any future transactions to improve the roster. And then you can have Donovan Mitchell all frustrated. It's not going to work. It's not going to fit. And then two years down the road, he's going to demand, you know, to get out of here. You, you don't want to put yourself in that position. So you've got to learn from your mistakes. It's like anything else in life. You, you, everybody knows it's well documented. Everybody saw it before it happened, when it happened, and after it happened regarding the Carmelo Anthony trade. You can't put yourself in that position once again. You just can't do it, Larry. I hear you, John. Thanks for the phone call. And uh, George's 924 on Twitter agrees with you. I think this Mitchell trade would be Carmelo Anthony 2.0. If the trade doesn't automatically put you close to the top in the East, why bother giving up the farm? Stay patient and draft well. All right, so listen, I agree with both of you. But the thing is, how do you know you're going to draft well? (laughs) And once again, okay, which, which we keep going around in circles with this. If you were going to be a team that was going to draft well and play these guys that you draft, then you've got the wrong coach. Tom Thibodeau should not have been the head coach. And once again, I'm not saying that he doesn't play any of his rookies, his young players, because he does. He, he played he played Grimes last year. He gave him some. He gave him pretty good minutes. He played top in some. Should have played top in more. Quickly has gotten some minutes, so he does play some young players. But if you if you're going to have a logjam of young players. And you need to see what they bring to the table. You know, then the front office is going to have to have a conversation with Tom Thibodeau and say, you know, we need to see what these young players can do. Okay. And maybe we're looking at them higher than what they really are. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.